Kelman on cliffcentral.com. She's a writer, producer, executive director of content and strategy at Thought Catalog. She's written for Elle, Cosmopolitan, Vanity Fair. She's got a book out called uh, Surviving in Spirit, a memoir about sisterhood and addiction. She's also one of the most interesting people that I met in 2015, which is exactly why she's on this list in 2016, Melanie Berlier. Hello. Uh, Melanie, it's difficult for someone like you to even figure out where to start. Uh, but I, I, I thought I would start with picking up on something that uh, you told me in our, in our interview that we did back in 2015. Uh, okay. you said no one really warned me about this whole real world thing. And I think that a lot of millennials are waking up now in adulthood mm-hmm. and having that realization and, and talk yeah. to me about that realization and how it manifested for you. I think that for me, you know, I graduated from college with a good GPA and supposedly all of the tools to, you know, build a life that I needed. But I had a very rude awakening almost immediately because I had no idea what the real world was like. And I had been trained to do well in school for so long, but never really um, cultivated some sense of what the real world was like. And I definitely experienced what, you know, people call a quarter life crisis these days. And um, I felt that I had no idea what I really wanted to do or needed to do in order to lead a happy, fulfilling life, ultimately, even though I supposedly had, you know, all the right things. Let's zoom into this quarter life crisis thing, which has only really mm-hmm. become a thing over the past couple of years. It's become a bit of a buzzword. But what does right. it feel like a quarter life crisis? What is the day to day intricacy of it? I think you feel helpless um, and confused because you thought you had done everything to prepare for this stage and yet you feel completely vulnerable regardless. Um, it's definitely, a, um, you know, the sign of some big, it's a big transition, right? And I think any transition is incredibly terrifying. So um, you have to figure it out. And some people do so more quickly than others. And for me, it meant making a major change ultimately. That was leaving the job that I thought at some point would be right for me, but turned out to be, you know, soul sucking and miserable. Mm. I hate how, you know, that whole process is is portrayed sometimes in the media as almost borderline comical. This process Mm -hmm. of millennials who are in something that they're not enjoying and then they leave it to go do something else. It's almost like that's become sort of very comical in mainstream media. Uh, Some people look at shows like Girls and they laugh. Uh, because right. they think, what's wrong with this generation? But, but it's, right. it's something that we're going through and, and maybe sometimes people don't give, you know, us enough credit where credit is due. I also think that, you know, perhaps we have higher standards for ourselves in a way. You know, we want happiness and long-term fulfillment and things that perhaps generations before us never bothered to reach for, maybe because they had fewer options. And that sucks for them. But I think it's good if if millennials, you know, reach for more. Talk to me about moving to New York, because I know that that was a that was a big move for you. Yeah, I mean, I moved here right after college from Washington, D.C. And, um, you know, New York is really exciting. And when everything is new, it's, it almost, it gives you adrenaline on a daily basis, right? There's new restaurants and new nightclubs or whatever that you want to do, but the novelty quickly fades. And then, you know, you have to decide whether or not you can live here. I, for one, love New York. I think that there's 
a lot of energy here. You can feel it on the streets. Um, and for me, it, it works really well, but only if I'm doing what I want, which is writing, not trading bonds on Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you on paper, Melanie, and now you got to be honest with me on paper, your story reads a little bit like a millennial dream. Oh, really? It feels a bit like that. I mean, when we look at what you've got planned in 2016, you're working uh, on this, uh, you know, big reality TV show based based on that expose that you did for Vanity Fair about sugar babies. Mm -hmm. It it reads like something out of a TV series. Uh, it's got a bit of a Sex in the City feel to it, but also it's got a serious feel to it. Like, you really Thank are. Thank you. I, I mean, I think so. Is it? Is that your life? Is it a millennial dream? Hey, is it I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> It sounds great when you say it that way. I mean, I think the actual reality of it is that it, you know, my story, there was a lot of heartache and hard work. Um, but I love the idea that maybe there are people who look at my story in that way and perhaps aspire to, you know, live similarly. I do get a lot of, um, emails from random readers who want to know how I've done what I've done and just ask for guidance. And I'm always happy to um, tell younger people exactly how I felt and to make them feel a little less alone, you know, because I think a lot of people think that um, not having all the answers is is a bad thing, but I don't think that's a bad thing. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Um... The best piece of advice I've ever been given is if you're unhappy, leave. Mm. Um, I think that, you know, quitting gets a really bad name, right? But mm. I essentially quit Wall Street and it was one of the most courageous decisions I've ever made. And I left quite simply because I was unhappy. Um, and looking back, it, it was really the best thing I could have ever done. Yeah, I, one of the things that I'm struggling with at the moment is this line, advice is a form of nostalgia. And that's why I asked that question, because it's really interesting. I think that, you know, we love to give advice, we love to receive advice, but where do we sit actually with advice in the 21st century and how we take it in or how we dispense it? What is advice really about? What do you think good advice is and what do you think bad advice is? I think good advice is you know, all we can do, all we know is our own experience. And I think that good advice has to come from an honest place from within mm. based on your personal experience. Um, and, you know, everyone brings their own experience to what they take from something. So, you know, it's up to everyone to interpret advice as, as, as they're going to interpret it. You, you have no control over that, but as long as what you say is, you know, truthful, um, I don't think it can be bad, right? Absolutely. As long, and you have to consider context, right? I think when you're interpreting any advice, you have to consider context. We all love quotes, right? These feel-good quotes and these inspiring quotes and whatnot. But um, there's always more of a story behind a piece of advice, too. I got to pick up on this word context and, and take it to this work that you do as an undercover writer where you will become a naked body sushi model, where you'll become a drug dealer, where you'll become a sugar baby, a phone sex operator. Because mm -hmm. what you're doing is you are shaping an incredible context in terms of telling that story. 
Thank you. And and I do wonder what it is within you that you might have recognized in a, in yourself as a child that would have indicated that you would have gone down this route of not just being a journalist, but a journalist and a writer who who lives it before she's able to pick up a pen. Huh. I'm not sure if I can think of anything about myself as a child that would indicate that I'd be someone who does really weird shit. I think the one, the one common thread, if I think about, you know, my life, what drew me to being a bond trader on Wall Street, um, and what draws me to be an immersive journalist is that I, I do have a tendency to seek a thrill. I was a gymnast as a child for many, many years, a very serious gymnast. So that, you know, there's this like desire to execute tricks and to, um, get the adrenaline that comes from, you know, pushing my personal boundaries. I think that's the common thread, you know, between everything I've done. And the reason I love to immerse myself in all of these various subcultures is that it makes the task of reporting so much more fun. And also, you know, ultimately I, I can write a better story when mm-hmm. I've experienced things firsthand. You know, I just come away with all of this really rich material that I can't wait to put on the page. Um, yeah. Your your writing, especially when it comes to your relationships and your boyfriend and all of that, it, it is so personal, uh, mm-hmm. which is becoming rarer and rarer in this day and age because of the amount of filters that we put on ourselves just by the nature of, you know, being afraid of people calling us out or rejecting uh, it, our, our honest true selves. I mean, that is a that's an unbelievable tenacity that you have to be so honest. How do you deal with the initial backlash that comes with that? So when you know when you sorry. see the first mean mean tweet about it, how do you deal with that and and not let that shape how you're going to progress in terms of being honest in everything that you do? I think that I honest is the only way I know how to be on some level. I feel so phony the second I deviate from my truth. It's very icky to me. You know, I almost have a personal um, react, you know, this physical reaction to dishonesty. So I've never had a problem being honest in terms of, you know, the backlash. I definitely do not read comments on the stories I write um, because I think it's unhealthy. Um, people who comment tend to either be incredibly, you know, praising you or just taking you down. And both ends of that spectrum, I think, are not necessarily good for you. Um, when someone tags me in a mean tweet, I can't avoid it because I'm tagged, which is bullshit. <laughs> and I tend to, I tend to respond, thanks for reading, exclamation point. And I'll probably even retweet it because it, it's the only way to cope with that is to laugh at it, I think, you know. And, and I would imagine hey, that you love that people have an opinion about you. You don't want to just yeah. be, you know, lukewarm. Sure. I mean, I've received some incredibly detailed emails that are, you know, ultimately critical of me that leave me thinking, wow, someone's taken all this time to draft this email so specific to my work. That's kind of nice. You know, there's, it's always, you can put the right spin on it. (laughs) What do do people get wrong about you a lot? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. You tell me. I I mean, we spoke about this millennial dream thing a little earlier on, and your answer was very honest that it's great if people Mm -hmm. see it as that. I mean, on paper, it really does read like that. Right. Uh, It reads like a great narrative. You know, it wasn't doing something then, you know, it wasn't doing what she enjoyed. So then she left it. It was, you know, should I leave? Should I not? It worked out amazingly. Goes on to, you know. You know what people get wrong about me? I I think, I sorry, it's just occurred to me. It's that I do things purely they assume that I do things purely for shock value because I 
do things that shock people, right? But I'm not immersing myself in these various worlds, becoming a naked body sushi model, or being really honest about my relationship to shock people. It just happens to shock people. I'm just trying to be honest and to do what I want to do. Um, so that that's what people get wrong, that I'm, you know, writing sensational stuff for the sake of sensationalism, which is not, not my intent. Melanie, what happens though? I mean, when we're kids, we're so honest. Uh, most mm-hmm. of the, like we're, we're honest about we want this, we want that. Like when we're babies, we, I don't know, we crawl around and we don't know what this is and we're inquisitive and we're investigative. And then society kind of as we grow up just really conditions us to be super conscious of who we are, of what we look like, of what we're about, of how we're coming across. And I just wonder if as a human race, we're going to, continue down that road of becoming more and more self-conscious or if we are regressing away from that i don't know what do you think about people when you sit at a coffee shop and just watch oh i love to watch people it's so fun um (laughs) i don't know i think that in general we all fixate way too much on what other people think about us and that's just such a terrible way to live it's it's it depresses me the idea that people are sitting there actually caring what I think or anyone else thinks of them. I just think there's so much freedom in being able to separate yourself from those concerns. Um, and it's such a more pleasant way to live. And inevitably, you're going to have people who hate on you and people who adore you. That's true for everyone, no matter what you do. You cannot possibly please everyone, no matter which Instagram filter you use. <laughs> Yeah, it's impossible. Yeah. Uh, I got to go to two questions from uh, fellow millennials on the list. Uh, the first one is, what site do you have bookmarked at the moment, Melanie? Which website? Yeah. Thoughtcatalog.com. That's easy. Yeah, And listen, what an unbelievable job you're doing over at thoughtcatalog.com. I mentioned it at the top, but you're the executive director of content and strategy. What is it for you? I mean, we look at Thought Catalog. It's, you know, people all around the world, young people sharing their stories, their opinions on things, people commenting mm-hmm. extensively. I mean, what what kind of kick do you get out of that on a human level in terms of the, the impact that you're making in the world? I just love the diversity of um, opinions and experiences that we're able to share on Thought Catalog. You know, I interact with so many people from different parts of the country and the world in my position. And it's so enriching to be able to read about their experiences and also to, to witness the diversity and approach to these pieces we have. You know, our, our motto is all thinking is relevant. And I think that really... Um, encapsulates the site in a great way. I wonder if we had to put together a thought catalog of Melanie Berlier, what the cover of the catalog would look like. (laughs) I don't know. That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The other question on the list, yeah. uh, Who are your top two influential millennials in the world right now? Oh, goodness. I don't know. It's like a beauty pageant Um, question. (laughs) Yeah, I would say Lena Dunham um, is one that comes to mind immediately. And then I'm going to go with my friend Meghan McCain. Not because, you know, she's the daughter of Senator John McCain. She's a Republican. I disagree with her on pretty much everything. Hmm. But that's why I like her. Um, And within the Republican Party, she's really unique in that she's a supporter of marriage equality and other positions, you know? So those are my two influential millennials. Yeah, you, you make these appearances weekly on American Now with Meghan McCain. Uh, <laughs> Four million people listening to that. That's got to yeah. be 
I don't know. Is that is that intimidating? Is that weird to listen back to? What is your feeling on four million people hearing your voice just in general? I love the idea, especially since with this show America Now, it's mostly like I think our audience or her audience rather is um, middle aged, crusty white dudes. So I like. <laughs> The idea that I'm, you know, not what they're used to hearing. Megan's show is mostly about politics and then I'm kind of the lifestyle, sex, love, relationship break. So I like the idea that I provide a little entertainment between political banter. It's fun. Plus, you don't have to look good when you do radio, That's as great. you know. <laughs> you know? That's cool. <laughs> uh, it's it's always so cool talking to you. I'm so glad that that you're on this list. And and now I'm gonna say because there was there's really no navigation walking into a conversation like this. This is the great thing about someone like you is that the conversation Thank just you. flows and goes. But I want you to close it off. I mean, you, sure. you know, have interviewed so many different people. I, w- I want you to close off this and give me the most important takeaway points from from this conversation with you. I'm gonna give you a new a new one. It's a hot tip. If he says he liked high school. Run the fuck away. Oh, now you see, now you're dropping bombs right at the end, Jam. Melanie, why is yeah. that? I, I mean, cause it's fun. It's a great way to close things out, I think. Do you agree? <laughs> <laughs> I think last time I said that, um, don't be fooled. Pants are leg prisons, which is also <laughs> a very important piece of advice. Um, if you can avoid them, you know, do wear leggings. I love it. I'm waiting for the coffee table book with your one liners. <laughs> That would be great. Rockstar Melanie Berlier, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Kelman on cliffcentral.com.